Caroline. Shalom, Samantha. How is college going for you this week? Well, it's like weird. Like, I theoretically should be applying for jobs and like all my classes are on Zoom. Um, and I only leave my room to pick up food at the dining hall. Yeah, how is Boston University? Boston University, I learned this week that one in three people at BU are Jewish. I think that's the craziest fact I've ever heard. Is that real? No, one third of the population here is Jewish. Why do I like not believe that? Like, that's a lot. Like, you're gonna ask, definitely ask Connor. We're having a guest. Oh, yes. So, guys, today we're doing something really exciting. We're having a guest on. His name is Connor Dedrick, and we're gonna talk to you a little bit more about what he does. Uh, but he can tell you a lot about Boston University, Jew diversity. Um, and I'm very excited. Um, I had the weirdest Jewish week of my life. Tell us more. Um, I think I'm simping for an NGJB. Oh, that's good. No, it's, well, I think I would like to call him an NJFB. Okay. Oh, this is the same one. Okay. Yeah. Stop. I, I have failed as a woman. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, but so on Friday night, I texted my friend Noam and I was like, my friend canceled on me and I was like, hey, like, do you want to go to Shabbat dinner? And he's like, actually, I'm going to this rabbi's house. Like, do you want to come? Um, so I ended up talking to going to this rabbi's house, had a full-on Shabbat dinner. And they gave me like a shot of vodka. Like they had like, like three. Like fish over? Like. Well, to, to, to like cleanse our mouths between um, the fish and the um, meat. Oh, is that a thing? Apparently. And so that was like interesting. And this rabbi, he's 29. He's an ex-professional soccer player from England. And he's just living his best life out here. So I was talking to all these boys there. And then Samantha, today I learned something. So <laughs> I have found where all of the, <laughs> frat, the frat boys are. Um, boy, you know how like those frat boys all have like the same spiel that they just say to everyone? I feel like they just like, look what I was talking to this kid again, because we happen to have similar, very similar um, interest, um, me and this person. I like, I would really like for it just to be a professional relationship, but um, of course, Judaism. No, just kidding. But like, um, yeah, um, I think it's just like, I realize that like, all of these boys are just like, you know, like this business, like, or like business majors, they're just like a little too charismatic. Yeah. 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 It was just like, I've been kind of getting this energy from like these beautiful Jewish boys, <laughs> but like, I'm confused and that I've never simped over a Jewish boy before. So this is a big step for you. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, no, I don't, I definitely, I'm not interested. I just thought he was cute and I thought it was funny and I thought I should share because we're, sh we're on my journey with me. Um, you guys have, of course, my dating life you're very invested in oh, yeah. no you're not but we have our most plays on our dating episode actually yeah. oh speaking of which we would love to do another segment of call her rabbi in which we fix your jewish dating profiles and or rehash anyone's j date j swipe stories so if you oh. would like us yentas us matchmakers to fix your dating profile DM us on Instagram at Jewish American Podcast. Yes, we are the best 
we will have you on our podcast. You're welcome for us letting you be a guest. We literally don't care who you are. Like, we will take anyone at this point. Like, we are getting desperate, <laughs> desperate in this quarantine. We are also, desperate, so you won't have to be. We'll if you're a single boy, dating profile. this could be our the beginning of our love story. Like, think think about that. Please don't be in a frat. Um, but if you're on a frat, we can we can reform you. You know, we can we can convert you. Yeah. Oh my That's god! But one type of converts we are qualified to facilitate. I want to get the rabbi on the podcast, but the best part of what he said, he's like, rabbi? because oh. the best part about him was that he just goes, the reason I um really got this far into Judaism was because I had a crush on this Orthodox girl. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's how um I'm becoming so um. Yeah, any Jewish boys that are beautiful enough, I will simp for you and become a rabbi. <laughs> All right, guys, so Shabbat Shalom part two. Um, so we ha- this comes out on Fridays, so we always Shabbat Shalom them in. Um, so we have a guest, um, and we're going to talk about something. We, we like to talk about, like, pop culture and something deeper within the Jewish community every week. And so today, we have a guest named Connor Dedrick, um, who goes to Boston University. He works at the Ellie Wiesel Center um, as an administrative assistant, as well as he was the president of our Hillel at Boston University, among other Jewish life things. Um, and so I think today we're, we really want to have a deeper conversation because um, I think it's really important in the Jewish community um, that like, it's so great that we're, we've been talking about Black Lives Matter and like relating that to being Jewish and so on and so on and so on. But talking about how we have those conversations um, and talking about like these deeper topics within the Jewish community. And then also like when they're interacting also with non-Jewish people. And yeah, so if that makes, I think that makes sense. I hope it does. Connor, we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what the Ellie Wiesel Center is and what specifically you do there? Sure. So uh, Ellie Wiesel used to be a professor at BU. And so uh, in honor of him, the Jewish Studies Department was renamed the Ellie Wiesel Center. And so at this center, you know, we specifically administer all of the Jewish Studies Department classes. And very recently, we added the Holocaust, Human Rights and Genocide Studies classes. In addition to this, we're also putting on a lot of different events that talk about contemporary issues within the Jewish community. So whether that's been Jewish um, views on Israel between American and Israeli Jews and how that relationship works, as well as the Jewish presence in the civil rights movement, its intersectionality um, between blackness and Jewishness, And this semester, we're putting on a series called Finding Moses, which takes a look at the figure of Moses and how that plays into Jewish, African-American, Christian, and Muslim narratives. And so at the center, I've mainly been responsible for producing a lot of the communications that we do, but also writing blogs um, and other kind of informational pieces for our blog and a bunch of other things. So I guess, I guess, Connor, what I'd like to ask you, um, as like, because I just recently met you too, how did you get specifically um, interested, specifically um, in talking about like Judaism and diversity and like these deeper um, social justice issues um, within the Jewish community? I think it definitely came from a class I took at BU called A Walking Tour of Boston, which looked at racial 
um, history in Boston. And the more and more we learned about blackness or it kind of just non-whiteness, we also had to learn about whiteness and mm -hmm. about when certain groups become white. And that's when the Jewish part really came into it because, you know, you always get asked the question, are Jews white? And the answer is white Jews are white. Um, exactly. But that w even that wasn't always the case. And I would still describe the Ashkenaz Jewish whiteness as this kind of fringe whiteness. And so that really got me into thinking about Jewish and the Jewish intersection or the intersection of being Jewish and being a person of color. Um, and that definitely caused me to examine a lot of the institutions and clubs that I was playing a part of um, and even my own personal conduct. I think for a lot of people and a lot of Hillel's when a person of color comes into the room, the assumption is that they're not Jewish or that they converted or something like that. Um, and so in having those experiences and in working in the LEV Cell Center, I definitely have felt it more incumbent upon me to educate myself and, um, and talk to other, you know, white Jews about our issue and how we can make sure that Jews of color are integral into our community to the point where, you know, being white is not the baseline, you know, you, to the point where we don't call people black rabbis or black congregants, because that mm. assumes that the default position of rabbi is white. Um, so to, to that point where we are meaningfully diverse and inclusive of, of everyone. You know, when I was in Israel, I think like, I thought going to Israel was going to be like a super calm, like chill experience, but um, it, it wasn't. Um, it was a really emotional experience for me because I think, well, what I really enjoyed about my birthright trip, and I know um, Danielle, who was working at the Hillel, was like very big on like diversity in Judaism um, as well. And we had a lot of great conversations about that, but I didn't, I don't think I really fully understood what it was like to live in Israel and like these deeper problems that like, oh, there's like things we can talk about, like the army and mental health was like a huge thing we talked about on our trip, which is something, you know, we never talk about, um, Secondly, the Israel-Palestine conflict, um, I, like, what we had a really great tour guide um, at, within the Palestinian territories, um, and going, I just started crying at some point, because I was like, whoa, like, this is so much more than I think my brain could even, like, like, today I took an accounting class, and that was like, whoa, that was a lot for me, like, this was like similarly like I could not even like conceptualize like there's sometimes you know it's like one of those things that you're like whoa this is I feel like this is all going through my brain as this person's explained to me and that's kind of what that felt like and then I had this third experience um well then there's kind of two more because I don't think I also understood the impact because personally um the holocaust didn't like touch anyone in my family really um my family had all come to the U.S. before um so going to the Holocaust Yad Vashem um, in Israel was like, I all of a sudden had this whole new understanding that it was like, whoa, this is why there needs to be something like in Israel. That was something I didn't understand before. And then my fourth thing, um, are we had like, you know how on birthright trips, they have to have like your like cultural, like something, they have like different 
aspects. So on my trip, we went to an Ethiopian community house within Tel Aviv. Um, and that I think was like the coolest experience in my life because this woman like was telling us the story. She was like born like on like her like Aliyah to Israel, like from Ethiopia. Like her mother gave birth to her like on the way. Like on the- wow. like, like in the desert. Yes. Oh. I, I was like, whoa. Wow. And this woman was like explaining this like story. And I was like, this is literally crazy. And they were like this, and they were actually privately funded. So it was very interesting. Um, this, cause I'm very passionate about nonprofits. Um, this organization um, in Israel. And it was so interesting. Cause I literally, I didn't understand. There was like so many black Jews and that I was so like disappointed in myself, I guess. Because I was like, I feel like mm-hmm. I consider myself like someone who's like, I hate this word. I hate this word woke or someone who like knows about like things. But how could I like someone who considers myself all these things that I know so much about so many other communities know so little about people of color in my community. And that was like a mm-hmm. huge moment of like disappointment and reflection within myself. And so coming back here this year, I definitely um, am interested in getting involved in those conversations and taking classes about that. Cause I think I'm just like frustrated because I'm like, I failed as myself, but also like, I want to educate when I do have children about black Jewish people and Jewish people of color and so on. And sorry, that was kind of a rant, but I thought it was important. (laughs) No, I think that's great. And I think another thing to be mindful of is it's not necessarily, you know, you failing yourself. It's a product of your, of our entire Jewish upbringing. All the, you know, Hebrew schools, congregations, day schools that we've been a part of, youth groups included, are all very homogenous and skews towards, you know, upper middle class white Jews. And so, you know, I, I think we definitely need to take personal responsibility for educating ourselves. But um, I think when we're the people who are controlling the synagogues and, you know, the youth groups and things like that, that we are also mindful that, you know, the effort that we could put into those kids then can save them, you know, those feelings of kind of, like you described, of guilt, embarrassment, um, and definitely set them up to be, you know, much, I, I also don't like the word, but woker people. <laughs> I need to find a new word. For like socially aware or like socially conscious I don't know if that like is a good enough parallel but I also agree yeah. that it's a little cringy and if you say you're woke it's like well, are you like if you're woke do you have to say yeah. like we recognize that we can say it ironically yeah <laughs> still still acknowledging that we try and be what it's meaning continuously yeah. self-educating I guess but that's actually a really interesting point because in terms of like I guess the homogeneity within like certain Jewish spaces and Jewish communities. Yes, I, think that's I, I went to Jewish day school for elementary and middle school. Um, and being surrounded by, I guess, all of these very high achieving families who happen to be Jewish and were able to afford to send their kids to day school because they were, you know, wealthy enough to send their kids to private school. Like, my kind of understanding of my own Jewish identity was very much intertwined with my understanding of like my white privilege and class privilege 
And I think having, like, not only, I mean, there did actually happen to be a Black family um, at my Jewish school, but literally everyone else was white. Um, as far as I know, we had a couple of, I don't want to, like, be speaking about all these, like, random people that I went to school with, like, 10 years ago, but, like, I'm sure there are a couple, like, Israeli families who were Middle Eastern in origin, but um, mm -hmm. the point being that not only did my kind of frame for Jewishness, like, not only was that predominantly white and Ashkenazi, but, like, also that kind of upbringing made me not really understand like the social location of Jews within society because it was like it was just so such a homogenous community and such a sheltered and privileged community um I guess relative to I don't know yeah no I think that's definitely a big kind of barrier um in the Jewish community because people look at white Jews and see that for the most part you know, upper middle class, if not upper class, and they say to themselves, how could Jews, you know, be discriminated against, you know, what do you mean anti-Semitism? You know, you see all these high achieving Jews, rich Jews, Nobel laureate Jews. Um, and I think definitely when we're talking about Judaism, when it comes to race and prejudice, it's incredibly important to recognize that anti-Semitism functions incredibly differently than all other, pretty much all other forms of prejudice and racism. Thank you for you saying say that. Thank you. I just want to interrupt you just to thank you oh, for no, saying something that like on a personal level, I've struggled with. And I've mentioned this in previous episodes because mm -hmm. I'm like, well, like there's anti-Semitism that comes from like, you know, like the privileged groups in society and from like the marginalized, historically marginalized groups in society because they think they're punching up because like such a stereotype about Jews is that we are like privileged and wealthy and like in control of all these institutions. And so like my sociology professor, I remember we were learning about how systems of oppression function. And she was saying like, you know, there are like the A groups and then the not A groups. And in my head, I was like, I feel like Jewish people in terms of like how oppression functions and like the direction of it, I guess, and like who can be oppressed and like all of that. I was like, there's A, there's not A. A being like the privileged groups, not A being the historically marginalized groups. And I was like, I guess the best way that I can understand it in my head is that like, we're kind of group B. Um, and like, I don't know if that's accurate, but I'm curious to hear more about what you have to say and I'm excited to not interrupt you anymore because this seems like it's going in a really interesting direction. No worries, it's the Jewish way to interrupt. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so anti-Semitism functions in a way where, in a different way to racism. In racism, the goal is to push the group of interest to the bottom of society. And so to keep them poor, uneducated, um, and kind of just out of the social sphere versus anti-Semitism relies on a number of Jews being in high places. So mm. that way you can point to them and say, these are the people that are controlling the banks, controlling social media, um, controlling the weather, whatever you want to say. And so the, 
I think you're very right in a way, Samantha, that Jews don't fit nicely into this A, not A kind of thing. Um, a great book that I'm reading is called The Colors of the Jews, and it talks about using this system that was kind of devised in apartheid South Africa, where there was white, black, and then brown in the middle. So this was largely the Indian immigrant community. But when you look at it in this kind of tripartite system, um, you can see how you have people of color at the bottom, if we're taking this into American society, people of color at the bottom and white people at top. And so you have Jews in the middle, like you said. And so also like you acknowledged, when the people on the bottom think they're punching up, they're really just hitting kind of the Jews in this aspect. And it makes a lot of sense why this happens. If we look at a place where Jewish and African-American groups live closely together and don't have the best of relationships, we take a place like Crown Heights in Brooklyn, um, where we've had, you know, Jewish people uh, killed in the 90s, um, and a lot of anti-Semitism and racism happening. And why does that happen? Well, because originally Jews settled in that area and then were progressively made this kind of, or granted this kind of fringe whiteness that allowed them to move elsewhere, into the suburbs, elsewhere into the city, to have some kind of means. But they still retained ownership of the buildings and the stores. And so in the next wave of people, when black people came into this area, well, their landlords were Jewish, their shopkeepers were Jewish. And so from their perspective, everyone who was oppressing them, taking money out of the community was Jewish. And so in that system, you know, Jews being white benefits white people because it keeps the ire off of them. And it really hurts Jewish people because, you know, it, it forces um, marginalized, or yeah, it funnels the hatred of marginalized groups towards them. And of course, it always hurts the marginalized groups who still remain in poverty. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it, it's very accurate to say that Jews do not fit in neatly into a, a black-white binary. Right. I think it's interesting that how I have kind of learned about it and how I understand it is that uh, for certain racial groups and for certain racial categories, like there are a lot of negative stereotypes and negative ideology that kind of feed into racism and therefore justify or those groups oppression, like justify, like, I guess. But then there's also for like other racial groups, like I'm thinking like South Asians, like the idea of the model minority, which I don't, I don't know enough about that to be able to say like how that functions but I guess the idea of like you know positive stereotypes kind of maybe downplay the very real oppression that certain groups face but I, I get the sense that like based on the stereotypes of Jewish people like it's kind of paradoxical like that kind of like you said like the reliance of like the few kind of at the top kind of to be scapegoats almost um, and the the misconception of the amount of power, I guess, that we have in society, but that is also distinct from the idea of the model minority, I would say. I don't know if it's entirely distinct. I think Jews, in many ways, were considered the original model minority. Oh. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so like when you, 
when the largest waves of Jewish immigration came in the 1880s all the way up until the 1920s, um, you know, the greatest violinists were Jewish, the greatest scientists were Jewish, um, and things like that. And I think where the model minority hurts the minority is that it, it dangles this kind of carrot in front of them and thinks that they're being rewarded um, for doing all this stuff. But I think you also have to remember that at the time that we're talking about where Jews are the model minority, this is when Harvard and the Ivy Leagues um, changed the admissions process from a meritocracy to being a little bit more subjective so that they can exclude the Jews. And you see this now happening, happening with Asian students mm -hmm. um, with their lawsuits at Harvard and Yale. So in many ways, the model minority exists to pit minorities against each other to say, look, this is how you should be. Um, and then also hurts that model minority because one, again, drawing the ire of other minorities, um, but then also it forces this, or it causes this kind of institutional backlash. So, oh, all of a sudden there are too many Jews or too many Asians getting into our schools. So we need to change the process in order to be able to legally discriminate against them um, to get into, you know, the range of quote, acceptable levels of, of Jews or, or whatever minority we're talking about. I guess there's always a question I've had, and I'm only asking this, I guess, I think because I feel very comfortable, but I think a lot of times with this question, I've been like, am I, do I sound anti-Semitic, like as a Jewish person? And I guess, so I, and I think there, so when people refer to like the shuttles, um, like across Europe, I think that's something that's always kind of been a confusing concept for me because I think, um, and like then we look at these communities in like in Brooklyn now, kind of, um, or in Montreal, there's like a large Hasidic community as well. Um, I'm referring to like mostly Hasidic communities. And I think, I guess in a lot of ways, I've always felt like they've kind of segregated themselves. And I don't really, and I don't feel like that's like a right way to feel. Um, but I'm like, how can we change how people are thinking about us as a people when you see these communities and i and i know that's a complicated issue because like every religion has because not just like because i'm looking at judaism i think right now outside of the ethnic factor of it but more as a religion and how can we continue having these conversations that are important when people are very separated i guess yeah i think i mean that's always going to be a very difficult thing and i think when it comes to these communities they're not insular necessarily for a distaste of the outside world but more of an incompatibility with their lifestyles and so you know if you take um you know the, the Hasidim in Muncie in New York you know the reason that they need to form this self-sustaining community is that you know they their lifestyle really limits the amount of contact that they can have with non-Jews. Um, and, you know, when it comes to things like Shabbat observance, a big thing is not hearing live music or not hearing a woman's voice. How could you do that when you live in the middle of a city completely integrated with everyone? Um, so while I agree that it is kind of an issue when it comes to involving them or when it comes to changing the perception of Jews, I think it comes down to 
a lot of media that is produced about these groups. So if you look like at Unorthodox or mm -hmm. at One of Us, while these are absolutely portraying real stories of people who have suffered within these communities, they are not necessarily representative of these communities as wholes. Um, but often these are the only pictures we see of these communities. Um, and so I think until that changes, there's going to be a very, it's going to be a very difficult process to kind of involve them into the discourse when they're very happy existing outside of it. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because this summer, my mom, my mom is like obsessed with like Hebrew television now. Um, I, I don't know what's been, she's just, I think quarantine. Um, but no, it's no, actually so much really, of it has come onto Netflix. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. It's this whole wave of just like Jewish or like Hebrew shows that like my parents were watching one and they moved on to the next one. And I was like, is this I not know. the same well, one? I think, so? I, th <laughs> I think people are like coming around again to like Jewish humor. So I think, yeah. you know, when, you know, for like our parents, it was, you know, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder and Carl Reiner. And now it's, you know, Miss <laughs> Maisel, Seth Rogen, all these kinds of either they feel quintessentially Jewish humor or, or humor in actual Jewish situations. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's something that the mainstream is definitely coming back around. When I saw Unorthodox, I think I had just gotten back from Israel um and kind of like i felt i don't know i didn't have the best experience in israel i'm gonna be quite honest with you i felt um not great <laughs> in a lot of ways about some form like some forms of judaism and like and then i watched an orthodox and i was like oh my god like huh. but i think like you're right um because i listened to this other podcast called the morning toast and those girls are very educated um within the jewish community even though they're very not annoying you guys aren't <laughs> no not that we aren't but they're um but like about like specifically like about because they were also talking about um, unorthodox and um, they were basically saying this is a very very specific group of people they're not even like considered Hasidic um, they're like considered like something else almost on that show and so I think it's like when you portray something in the media and then it's like that's like we're talking about stereotypes then we assume then like everyone exactly. is like that and like yeah. and I was like yeah I I kind of yeah, and I think you're absolutely right there that the the people who are the group that's being portrayed in unorthodox those are called the Satmar um, yeah uh, the Satmar community which is comes from the Satmar village in Hungary which is where they were originally from before the Holocaust um, but yeah I think you're right definitely that when we say Hasidic or ultra orthodox these are obviously painting in very large brushstrokes so you know. I think for the benefit of the people listening to this podcast, you know, you have kind of different dynasties of these very observant Jews. Um, so the most famous one is uh, Lubavitcher, which are which is the Chabad movement. Then there are the Satmars. Um, there's actually a Hasidic dynasty in Boston. There's a Bostoner Rebbe. Um, so yeah, these are, I mean, their beliefs vary, um, but yeah something that you see in one Hasidic community is not indicative of something that you could see in every Hasidic community. I'm also going to ask you a question because I know Samantha is thinking it. Um, I have no thoughts. I'm like struggling to come up with an intelligent 
follow-up, so I'm really excited. No, no, it's not an intelligent question. It's just our podcast. Um, so you my dumb thoughts up here. <laughs> so um, I guess we're gonna me and Samantha talk about Jewish representation in the media a lot. Um, specifically with Miss Maisel, um, mm-hmm. we talk about non-Jewish actresses or, or actors playing Jewish characters. We did like a whole episode on That's this a couple whole weeks. Topic, episode four. Four, yeah. We were like we really went in on um, God, <laughs> Adam Driver. <laughs> That's Adam Driver is Jewish, though, isn't he? No. What? Yep. That's oh, what we talk about. That. That's this podcast. I've, I've been compiling a list of celebrities that I thought were Jewish and then turned out to be not Jewish, and celebrities that I like thought were not Jewish but turned out to be Jewish. And our future episode is going to be us going through those lists. <laughs> but anyway. But how do you like? What do you think about that? Because I don't know, like. For example, um, I watch Glee. Like Glee is like I'm a famous Glee TikToker, basically. Um, yeah. Um, Glee really TikTok. Relevant. I'm on uh, Glee. I didn't TikTok, even though I don't watch Glee. Like I've seen it, but like I didn't finish it. But I'm on. I Glee. didn't know that before I signed up for this podcast. <laughs> you're like I have to. You're like you. You were like I have to go now. Um, <laughs> My mom no, said like, no. <laughs> I I hate watch Glee. Um, very religiously, and so I've been rewatching it for no apparent reason. Um, and Leah Michelle on that show is like, oh my God, she's Jewish and she needs to fix her nose, blah, 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 blah. And then they paint this other girl, Diana Agron, who plays Quinn as like the perfect cel- celibate blonde. Um, like that is... Like, yeah, mean girl. And turns out in real life, they're both Jewish. Um, well, Leah Michelle's half Jewish on her father's side. So like, and then Diana Agron- Technically, like ethnically, they're both half Jewish, but Di- yes. the, uh, the parent of Diana that was originally not Jewish converted. Meanwhile, I know like, at least in like the conservative Jewish space that I grew up in, patrilineal Jews aren't considered Jews and like, right. uh, like that, like, I'm um, like whatever, like, People can have other opinions, but like by that definition, Leah Michelle's not Jewish. Um, whereas I think Quinn is Quinn, Diana's like that. Yes, so I we were we were having Wikipedia, that's not the point. Um, <laughs> but the show yeah, no, the show that has like Glee is one of the most like world like everyone knows what Glee is, right? And it's like they were painting Leah Michelle's character, Rachel, with all these stereotypes, but like no one knew Diana Agra was Jewish. And I think like that's like, it's just so annoying because it's like, I think it kind of propels that concept that Jews have one look, one stereotype, one identity. And like, listen, I, I know what I look like. Like, I know I could probably, everyone looks at me and they're probably like, oh, she's a, I look Jewish, right? But also, that there's a lot more than that. And so I kind of just wanted to listen to your opinion, Connor, on like the Jew, like how all these non-Jewish actors are portraying Jews because based off their looks or like stereotypes and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a very tough topic because mm-hmm. I think like we established before, white Jews are white. And so you don't necessarily have the issue when it comes to, you know, a person of a white person playing a person of color um but i i definitely think when a person's jewishness is kind of integral to their role or the role's jewishness 
I think then it does become pretty important to have a Jewish person, um, yeah. or at least a a very well educated not Jewish person, um, because I, there definitely is a level of you know kind of comfortability that a Jewish person has with Jewish humor and Yiddish words and things like that. Um, so when we take a show like Unorthodox, for example, um, Sherry Haas is, I believe, who mm. plays the um, yes. the lead. And if I'm right, let me just make sure that I'm right. Um, I, I'm not sure if she's Jewish. Do either of Actually, you know she's Jewish? I'm pretty sure all of the main actors on that show are Jewish and most of the crew was Jewish. Uh, yeah, so she is Jewish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is super um, fun fact about that yeah. show. Um, but yeah, because I think, you know, it's, it's integral to Sherry's character's story that she be Jewish. Um, and especially when you come to the finale, I mean, I don't, spoiler alert for like the next 20 seconds. Um, but like, she sings this very emotional Yiddish song, um, you know, for her audition. And I think I would feel kind of betrayed if after the fact I found out that um, mm-hmm. that she wasn't Jewish, um, especially because you know they tricked me, a Jew, into you know having such an intense kind of emotional reaction. You know my you know my feelings feel misplaced after that point. I think when it comes to a situation like Glee and where they went really wrong, is that they used a person's Jewishness to be the butt of the joke, um, and I think. And that, that comes into a lot when it comes, or like, about discussions about blackface, um, you know, and racial comedy in general. Do you use blackface to make fun of blackface, or are you using blackface to make fun of black people? And I think that's a good rule of thumb when it comes to Jewishness, too. Are you using someone's Jewishness in a production to make fun of Jewishness? Because I think if you are, that's completely wrong. Um, But I think if you're using it to, in a way of racial comedy to make fun of the stereotypes or something like that, you should still have a Jewish person doing that because it falls into kind of our domain of power to make fun of our oppressors and make fun of ourselves. Um, So yeah, it would feel wrong to have a non-Jewish person play a Jewish character who makes jokes about, you know, being Jewish. That's kind of my take on that. Yeah. Of course, I'll still watch Marvelous Miss Maisel. No problem. So good. So good. Oh my gosh. I just, oh, wait, what's his name is on that show that we really thought was Jewish? Samantha. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Very a lost, a lost. Back really by in my end. Um, a lost from, for the community. <laughs> <laughs> Do you say a loss for the community? Yes, I love him so much. <laughs> Honestly. But I think that plays a lot into what we were talking about before. And the, you know, I think a lot of Ashkenaz Jews have, think that they have, you know, the Judar. Um, and so, of course, it's it's definitely disappointing when it doesn't yeah. work out. Um, and we don't, you know, hit right. But I think... You know, it definitely, there is a part of that that is based in the existence of definitively Jewish features, um, which of course that we talk about really can't exist 
with the multitudes of people that can be Jewish. Right, yeah. That's interesting, because that's interesting that you bring that up, because I feel like I will joke or talk about, like, various celebrities or figures in that kind of way, like, whether or not they're Jewish or if they, quote-unquote, look Jewish. And I, I, was, I was always like, ooh, is this, like, edgy humor that maybe I'm taking too far? But I feel like it's more of, like, if there are these, like, stereotypes against, like, certain Jewish features, like, I guess, I guess in my head, like, trying to see if I could figure out who was Jewish based on their name or what they look like was my way of, I guess, I don't want to say reclaiming, but I guess kind of reclaiming those stereotypes. You're like, oh, if these stereotypes, like, are going to exist, unfortunately, like, might as well have some, not like have some fun with it, or like, might as I get, well I get what, it in a fun way. I, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. That sounds I like trying to find community, like find a community within, like if there are going to be these stereotypes, like let's play into them in a way that fosters community instead of like mm -hmm. reinforcing them in a negative light. Although, like we keep saying, like much of the reason why the stereotypes aren't accurate is because of the lack of the homogeneity within. Right, here, give me one second, because Zoom is great. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I can speak as someone who is not, I heard is not the right word, but like who falls outside of that, of that Jewish kind of thing when that happens. You know, my name is Connor Diedrich. Connor's an Irish name. Diedrich is a German name. You know, I'm six foot something with blue eyes and mm -hmm. I have no hair. <laughs> no one assumes I'm Jewish. If I didn't have a yarmulke on, no one would think I'm Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, I whenever I walk into a, a Jewish space that isn't my own, there always is a kind of paranoia that is, oh, when I introduce myself, will someone think that I am Jewish or not? Which is, I guess, also where I definitely understand that feeling when it comes to, to Jews of color, is that when we, mm -hmm. is that when we can look at like a white person who is Jewish and because of their name or how they look, you know, not think they're Jewish, it's the exact same thing, just more pronounced when it comes to Jews of color. Um, I mean, I walked into my synagogue, was it at the beginning of this year? And, you know, again, I, I, have, a, I have a shaved head and a beard. And so I walk into my synagogue and someone comes up to me and says, you know, um, in a very kind of suspicious way, oh, can I help you? Like, what are you doing here? Um, and for the people who will say that I was overreacting at the kiddish, this person did come back up to me and say, I'm so sorry. I did think that you were someone who is going to be a threat in this synagogue. Um, yeah. So it, it definitely, everyone needs to work or every white Jew needs to work on deconstructing their perceptions of what is Jewish. Um, so that way we can make people feel more comfortable in our Jewish communities.
I'm actually so glad you said that because um, this weekend I was at this rabbi's house twice. But um, so the first time I went to the rabbi's house, I was just having this really deep conversation with the rabbi because I think we just like connected on this like very different level because he talked about like his journey um, converting and not converting but becoming um, like more conservative and like it was funny because he was like it was kind of I was telling Samantha this a little earlier but it was kind of about because he liked this girl a lot so that's kind of why he got more into religion and like there was a bunch of other things in his life that happened that kind of like led him that, that were like very odd and like whatever um, and we were talking and I found myself like for the first event this weekend was like I found myself kind of being like I'm half Jewish um, and that my, I go to a, I do, I was attending a Bible study at Boston University last semester because um, I don't have a relationship with my father and I've talked about this on the podcast before, um, but I think some, like maybe looking at the Bible, even though I don't believe and I'm probably, I don't believe in Jesus and I'm not going to, just like having that kind of as like this cult, another cultural like connection to my father um, was something really important to me. And my friend Noam said something to me after dinner at Shabbat um, and he said, basically was like, Caroline, why do you keep apologizing? Um, like being like, oh, I'm sorry, I went to this Bible study or like saying that. And then two days later, I'm at this event and I was talking to this woman and she said, oh, what's, I was saying, oh, I'm from the area. My name is Caroline. My name is not Jewish, right? Um, and then she goes, what's your last name? And I go, Haven. And I was like, and like, I knew the moment she looked at me, I was like, my mom um, is a Cohen, but um, like my dad converted and, um, but now, but now he's gone. And so like, she's a Cohen again. And like, I had like this like mental breakdown within this conversation. I was like, Caroline, and my friend Noam again was like, Caroline, Noam keeps me in check. Um, but he was like, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to explain yourself. You're, you don't have to, and I think at BU a lot of times it's something I struggle with is like, I don't feel Jewish enough in certain rooms. And that's like, that's ridiculous because that shouldn't be a thing. Like the same way people don't feel I'm black enough or I'm X enough or Y enough. Like I, and I literally had this conversation with my friend the same day yesterday, like yesterday about how she didn't feel Indian enough and cause she, cause she can't speak Hindi. And I was like, I just gave her a 20 minute pep talk and I'm doing the same exact thing about myself. <laughs> uh, and like, yeah, <laughs> that was my rant. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think those kinds of instances can help people, can help white Jews mm -hmm. empathize and take action with and for Jews of color. Because what you experienced is what, you know, you, when, before someone speaks to you, if you're in a Jewish setting, there is an assumption that you're Jewish. Before you say your name is Caroline DeHaven, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, someone would look at you in a Jewish setting and say you're Jewish. Now, when you, like you said, once you start talking to them though and explaining who you are, you feel this need to over-explain yourself and That's justify right. your existence in that space. Well, now for Jews of color, that need that needing to explain starts the step earlier with just existing yeah. in the space. I, like, even I'm a, there was an Asian boy on my birthright trip, and I was like, I really wonder, like, how that's affected him, like, in, like, when he was, like, bar mitzvah or X, Y, and Z, because it's like, I, I mean, like, I felt, like, I've been in settings in my life where I felt so out of place, and, like, I can't even imagine what, like, and I probably myself have even had thoughts that are like, what are you doing here? Like, and I, you know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. Like, you can't be Jewish. Like, and like, obviously, that's a problem, like we were saying overall in the Jewish community. But I think, yeah, it's, it's weird, because I know the way I look, I can like, oh, there's also people who say to me, like, oh, you don't look Jewish. Or there's people that are like, oh, oh yeah, you look Jewish, right? So it's like, and I'm like, well, I'm both. So I don't know what to explain to you. Um, <laughs> I also, I feel like I just look like every white girl on Boston University's campus. So, so <laughs> but I think, yeah, that comp, it's, it's complicated. And then even this weekend, I was, I like, I was saying to you and I bumped into you today, like, I was like, I'm wearing pants or like, I'm wearing a shorter dress. I don't feel like I belong here now because I'm not reform, uh, conservative uh, or orthodox enough to be in this community. And I think I like, I can't even imagine because like, these are all things that I can kind of alter when I'm with someone. But when you're a person of color, like I've said before on this podcast, like you wake up, you can't be like, yo, I'm going to take off the skin for the day. <laughs> like, you exactly. can't. And it forms this negative feedback loop. So if, if the Jewish community isn't welcoming to people of color, people of color stop showing up to the mainstream Jewish community. So it forms this, this negative feedback mm -hmm. loop where Jews of color aren't present in the community. And so the, the white Jews subconsciously um, exclude Jews of color when they do show up. And that causes even fewer Jews of color to show up, which causes an even more intense subconscious or sometimes even overt um, act of exclusion for Jews of color. Mm -hmm. So unless you can, unless we can correct it now, okay. it, it would, you know, you eventually have a, a kind of what we already have, a completely homogenous and white Jewish community. Um, but there, there is definitely going to be a lag time. We mm -hmm. fix it. And that doesn't mean the Jews of color show up instantly. You know, mm -hmm. it, it definitely takes a lot of work on our part to mend that community. Yeah. So can you elaborate, I guess, on things that white Jews can do to kind of show up for Jews of color and like self-educate? Um, Absolutely. I Set aside those preconceived ideas? Yeah. I think first and foremost, to name the fact that, you know, I am a white Jew. And so the advice that I am giving people um, is coming from my my Jews of color friends, not my Jews, my, my friends who are Jews of color. Um, uh, but ju just keeping in mind that, you know, I still have ingrained biases. Um, and, uh, you know, we all do and we all need to work on that. I think the things that have helped me deconstruct them are definitely reading, uh, doing a lot of reading, one. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, particularly the intersection of Jewishness and being a person of color. Um, if you are looking for a book like that, I would recommend The Colors of the Jews. Um, it both is a showcase of world cultures of the Jews, and then also includes concrete steps to what they call de-Ashkenazify, um, institutional spaces. Um, you know, also recommending um, an anti-racist or how to be an anti-racist by um, Ibram Kendi, who is a now a professor at BU and is the uh, starting the Center for Anti-Racist Research. I think very important to note that he is the he is a Mellon Chair and the only other professor to have that was Elie Wiesel, um, and so definitely some 
good parallels there. Um, another thing is talking to, to Jews of color. Now, of course, keep in mind, Jews of color are under no obligation to educate you. Um, and even within them. that category, there are so many, no so many different Jews of color that you can. One thing to be aware of, though, um, sometimes you come across groups that will pretend to be Jewish, you know, the Black Hebrew Israelites, Messianic Jews, um, who can still be, you know, people of color, but definitely have very extreme views when it comes to Judaism. So keep those in mind when looking for people not to go to. Um, but yes, but like I was saying, again, Jews of color don't owe you anything. They don't have to educate you. But if you, if one of your friends or someone like that wants to have these discussions with you, they're the best resource. They can tell you their firsthand experiences of feeling marginalized and excluded from Jewish communities. Another really important thing is to examine yourself and your own biases. You know, I can think of a dozen times, and we've named some on, on, this, on this episode, of times where we thought like, oh, you don't belong here. Um, so recognizing that, committing to change, um, but also recognizing that these things have been ingrained in us for, in my case, you know, 21 years. Um, and so it takes time and you will slip up. And the important thing is that when you slip up, that you can take responsibility, own up to it. And if you're called out, don't get defensive um, because what you did was wrong. It doesn't make you a bad person, but the thing that you did was bad. And so to accept that, apologize, educate yourself and move on is kind of the, the cycle. And your hope is that your, the time between slip ups is, you know, push to the extreme so that you're really never slipping up um, and that you can correct other people and things like that. Um, but it's a process. It's a lifelong process that we all need to commit ourselves to. And then you've kind of touched on this at the beginning um, when you introduced yourself with the different programming that the Ellie Wiesel, Wiesel Center puts on. I was wondering if you could talk more beyond just like an interpersonal level, like how like within the Jewish community can be more inclusive on an institutional level or a big part of our podcast is like Jewish life on a college campus. So on that kind of broader scale. Yeah. I think at the level of the institution, it involves diversity. And so it means having Jews of color in important places. Um, as much as we can, as much as we as white Jews can educate ourselves and really try to be on top of everything, it pales in, co in comparison to the experience, the firsthand experience and the education of a, from a, a Jew of color. Um, so I think that's a big thing that institutions can definitely do. I think also anti-discrimination training, bias training, things like that. Um, I think at the level, at our level, at the college campus level, um, you know, it's definitely the, I think, showing up for other people. Um, so when it comes to, you know, Jews of color, 
in Hillel or in any other Jewish space on campus that we're making the effort to be inclusive, inclusive of them. Um, not to the point of tokenization, like right. that's definitely not a thing that we want to be doing. Um, but yeah, it means validating their concerns. If, if you're in a place of, um, of power, I mean, one Hillel president to another, um, you know, we can't dismiss these things within our organizations. Um, so definitely listening intently and believing people um, and committing to do change, mm -hmm. I think is what we can do. I think this is a fantastic time to start doing it. It's Elul, we're coming up on the Jewish holidays. It is our soul's journey to purification and atonement. Um, so if you haven't started already, I suggest you start now. I feel pretty good about like everything we've talked about. And it's been a long, I mean, I could talk to you forever and pick your brain because <laughs> this, this has been fascinating. Again, sure. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to come on whenever. Uh, I think we need to take over as hosts now because this is- <laughs> I mean, your, your description does promise a healthy dose of NJB. So, you know, yeah, you're welcome. You. <laughs> I used to not know what NJB meant and of course failed in a spectacular way where I was in Israel in high school. I was doing a semester there through Mus. Um, and this is when Yik Yak was still big. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I thought someone had posted, um, oh gosh, what was it? I, it was like a girl that I was like, you know, kind of pondering on making a move. Mm -hmm. um, and someone posts on Yik Yak, you know, if someone doesn't kiss me in the next three days, I'm going to punch a hole in the wall. And then someone, you know, responds, oh, who do you want to kiss? And then she responds, in NJB, I thought NJB meant New Jersey boy. And I was the only guy there from New Jersey. Um, it well, worked. Like New Jersey it worked and I dated her for a year, but like... <laughs> I feel like the den... The then the Venn diagram of a New Jersey boy and a nice Jewish boy, I can imagine a it's lot the of the same. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of them. I feel like that was probably a very Ashkenormative statement of me to make, but you know, we're learning. Ashkenormative. I really, oh, Samantha. Samantha. No, that's a real, it's a very useful term. Today. I yeah. like that. Let's make merch. Amazing. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you had as much fun as we did. <laughs> we had, like, no, the, I think me and Samantha just were like, this is the most eye-opening conversation we've had in months. Like, <laughs> like literally. Yeah. yeah it was fantastic. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Bye. You guys have a great night. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. So, Samantha, that was amazing. Who, who's you? Like, who knew? Like, it was so great to talk to him because when I, from when I'm meeting him, just like he has such an incredible knowledge about what he's talking yeah. about. And it's nice to just like, it's a nice change in our podcast because yeah, we talk about a lot, but we're feeling and like all this stuff, but never do we like really, I think say like, maybe this is why we're feeling this way and look into history. And I think that's the new nuance that he's given us. But anyway, Samantha, um, we're still our annoying bratty ass podcast. So what's the Yiddish word of the week, honey? Okay, the Yiddish, this is one that my grandpa taught me, but I had to look it up because I don't remember the full phrase. But this Yiddish curse is Zolst Vaxen Via Sivale Mitkop in Dred. So that means, so my, 
I'll give you the story. So my grandpa told me this, like, may you grow like an onion. And I was like, well, what does that mean as a kid? Like, I didn't know. I was like, like, okay, so like any other plant, like what? And then he was like, well, like, what is it about an onion? And I go, it has layers. Thinking about like that Shrek line, how like Shrek is like an onion, like ogres and onions both have layers. Um, but that is not, in fact, what this means. It means you should grow like an onion with your head in the ground. Because onions, I guess, grow upside down. So it's basically telling the person to die. And not that they have layers and are an ogre. Obviously, I, I think Yiddish existed before Shrek. So obviously not a Shrek reference. But um, I think it's interesting how culturally that's what we... That's what we associate onions with. Maybe not we as a culture, maybe just me as a meme person, but. I hate onions, but I think, oh, sorry. I hate onions, but you know, sometimes I'm talking, the other day I was talking to someone, I was like, you know, you really gotta like peel it back like an onion. And I was like, was it God telling me to say that? Sometimes <laughs> I ask myself, wow. was it my Jewish, Jewish God or was it, um, track and like honestly either way I'm, I'm fine with either so samantha we have a little pop culture news i'm really thinking about my friend and i texted and i said i'm ending it all it's with a heavy heart that we i'm gonna say that we're gonna announce this as if we have any control over the situation and are breaking we are actually we are tmz and kim kardashian people to say this to anyone I got off the phone with my bestie, Courtney Kardashian, and she, I mean, if she's best friends with Addison Rae, she can be best friends with me, the age difference. You're literally older. You're more age appropriate. What? <laughs> You're more age, she's my, Addison Rae's my age. I know, and Courtney Kardashian's like 40. That's like, that baffles me, but what's even more baffling is that we, as a society, as a culture, will no longer be keeping up with the Kardashians because the show, it sounds like it was voluntary based on how Kim kind of broke the statement on Instagram that Kim, Kim Kardashian, keeping up the, with the Kardashians will be ending in 2021, which is not a Jewish pop culture reference. It is just a pop culture reference. And as much as I don't like the Kardashians and the way that they very much appropriated black culture and made a career out of it, they were iconic in American society. I mean, I feel like the show won't make them like go away because I feel like at this point their brands honestly are more social media, like especially with Kendall and Kylie. Like I feel like those two kind of phased in once like influencers and social media influencers right. were becoming a thing. And now they have their, like, their own brand, so I feel like they'll still definitely be, like, a cultural, like, artifact, I guess, you know, 2021 so, and beyond, but, yeah. I'm proposing a new segment, um, and I'm calling it Make It Jewish. And so we're going to do a very unrelated pop culture tangent, and we're going to make it Jewish. So um, here's how I'm making it Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, so my friend, so first of all, in my reaction, um, my friend is kind of, she was dealing with a breakup and all she's been doing is watching the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. They took that away from her for her next breakups. Not that there will be many more breakups. My friend will find love and happiness very soon. But you know, we're 19, so yeah. Um, that's just like, but how will I make this Jewish? You're wondering, Caroline, how? 
So the Kardashians are Armenian. You know where there's the Armenian corner? Jerusalem. Wow. And also Scott Jessica is Jewish. He is? Yeah, you didn't know that? No, is he like, let me. I have a crush on him, he's such a zaddy. Scott Disick visits Israel, finds Hashem is everywhere. Schmooze. <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. Why? No, he, Scott Disick kind of look like an uglier version of the love interest on Younger, Josh. I'm fucking in love with Josh, so don't even. Okay, I also think I just like men named Josh. Not like, like. Because, yeah, valid. Uh, because, like, oh my gosh. Then there's um Josh Chan. Mm-hmm. So we have Josh Chan. There have we have the Jewish guy I made out with from Mississippi. Um, and then we have um wait, who did you just say? Josh. He's not no, I was gonna say he's not Jewish, but that we're not talking about Jewish boys, we're talking about boys that Caroline likes, which is not Jewish boys. Josh, the character from Younger, Sutton Foster. Yes. I think oh my god, sorry. Can we just do an episode on that show? Honestly. Um, um, yes, please. That has nothing to do with anything. He posted himself eating shashuka. Let the Lord be with you. Shashuka. Scott Disney really literally breaking like commandment number one on his Instagram handle. Yes. Well, I think he he's literally a lord. Like, no, no, no. Like, Samantha, do you watch? Have you ever seen the Kardashians? No. So, I look like Scott Disick was like, yo. I'm really cool. And I was like, fuck yeah, Scott Disick. And then he was like, I yeah, because we had that conversation. And then he was like, I'm going to England. And you know how like uh Jack, there's like no like uh Sir Paul McCartney is like a sir. Yeah, like if you're part of the British, like they do the they do those swords on both shoulders. So he literally got courted and knighted, and he is a lord. So that is why I left the Lord. Be with you. Like the English not the English Lord. Family. Not the not, not the God Lord. Not no, the Jesus Lord. No, I get that now. I get that now. I was just like I Samantha, like the fact that you wanted to speak about this today and you came in with so much knowledge, just like of keeping up with the Kardashians? Like what knowledge is like, really, I'm saying that sarcastically. Oh, I thought you you've heard me. You've heard the basic bitch community today. Sorry. I just like I just don't even know what to say. Okay. What is okay? I have a question. Oh, ask your question first. What is Hashem? Hashem is. It literally means the name. It's like a word for. It's a Hebrew word for God. It's not like the official name, but it's kind of like you don't want to repeat God's name. So if you say like, oh, the name, like you know who you're referring to without like seeing, like using his name in vain. So this tiny child this weekend, I was talking to her. And so I was like, um, and she was talking to someone else too. And the girl goes, the other girl goes, goes um, so where did you get your curls? And she goes, Hashem. Aww. And her mom just goes, okay. <laughs> That's so cute. I need to have a child for Judaism. Like, that's, that's all. Like, just uh-huh. to see. Just have him on the pod, you know? <laughs> have a Jewish kid on the podcast? Please. Yes, sir. Yeah, let's get a Jewish child. <laughs> we can be like, so like, Mary Fuck Hill. 
<laughs> to a four-year-old. <laughs> I really know, but I think our next guest, my friend Faisal is willing to do it. I talked to him for a while. Um, Gretchen said she would do it. She's not yeah. Jewish, but she would be fun to have. No, that's fun. We should have her. We need some non-Jew. We can give her a little Jewish lesson. And oh my god, we can do it during the holidays and like teach her about the holidays. Oh, true. And then my friend, um, I will. I think I'm gonna try to get this rabbi to do it. That'd be awesome. Is it the 29-year-old rabbi? The rabbi. Oh my god, can I call him hot rabbi? Yes. Oh my god, like hot priest from Fleabag. Now we have hot rabbi. Yeah, but I feel like what if he hears? <laughs> well, he. Is he hot? Like, oh, wait, like, he looks like Ryan Gosling. Like, that's his celebrity lookalike. <laughs> I think Ryan Gosling, he's not my type. I think looks-wise, he is overrated out of 10. But I feel like if you, if you are, like, a human, like, a non-Hollywood person who looks like Ryan Gosling, like, I would call that hot. Like, I would give him the title of hot rabbi. Yeah, he's like, a recurring joke he's so... I like, I think he knows how I feel about him. Mm. That rabbi, that mm. rabbi, that expert soccer player and professional rabbi, like maybe David Beckham would be a more accurate, like, compare. Oh. oh my God. I'm sorry. I think it's just like, I've never, it's like, I was explaining this to someone recently. They were like, I've never heard of a hot rabbi. And I was like, listen, us Jews, we're breaking stereotypes every day. So. Now, I, I don't think I've met a hot rabbi, unfortunately. I'm sure they're out there, but I've also, like, I mostly just go to my own temple, and that's been the same rabbi since before I was The born. womb. Yeah. So, Samantha, this episode has been, like, probably my favorite. Um, oh, for sure. Me too. Except for when my Jewish, the media, the Jewish, not the Jewish media one, but the Jewish, um, dating app when, you know, when my love life was confirmed to never exist. Fun. That was fun. It was really nice to have Connor kind of carry the whole show. I really appreciated that. I have a long week ahead of me and I'm sure you do too. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Jewish American Podcast. Shabbat Shalom. Get the fuck off your phone because it's Shabbat and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> All right. Catch you on the next one.